You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle uh, just to stay between the show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Maxwell Ivy, known around the the world as the blind blogger and this is another episode of what's your excuse and you can find the show at theblindblogger.net but you can also go to uh knob tv over on roku you can also say alexa play what's your excuse or google ask for what's your excuse and i hope y'all will check out the podcast hopefully it will inspire you to take action and please leave a rating or review the show is about uh I bring people to you to, uh, to share their experiences and hopefully to help you overcome those excuses that are holding you back. And I bring you people who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, people who have started an unusual business of their own and succeeded, people who have world-tested advice that will help you accomplish your goals and dreams, or people who I just happen to like or am inspired or intrigued by. And uh, so... Before I get to one more thing, before I get to my guest, I hope you will visit my sponsor, Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com. You can also find him by saying, Alexa, play Create My Voice or Google Talk to Create My Voice. Um, his company will help you create a branding strategy for these wireless voice apps that will allow you to protect your name, your brand, and your content and control what people hear about you and your business online when they use these speakers and uh, by the way, the audience is growing and the fact that Google and uh, Amazon are really pushing people to access their content through voice as opposed to accessing it from a computer or a, or a tablet or a phone. Uh, you really need to be on those devices and be using them so that somebody else isn't uh, taking advantage of your name, your brand, and your audience. And uh, like I say, you can find him at uh, createmyvoice.com. So, Today, I'm very blessed to have a great uh, personal friend of mine today. Her name is Stacy Greenberg. Uh, she is an interior designer specializing in the hospitality arena, which is hotels, motels, spas, um, even convention centers and casinos. That's those types of buildings is what she specializes in. Um, she is also parent of two special needs children, a, a daughter who, who is deaf and a son who has ADD, and these have both made her much more uh, discerning about Americans with Disability Act and accessibility concerns in general. Uh, she is also, through no fault of her own, has done the minimalist thing and has become very, uh, very interested in tiny houses and living the tiny house lifestyle. Uh, I think she's a wonderful woman. She's, uh, she has so many much life experience to share with us. And I'm hoping that after y'all talk to her for a while, you're going to find out three things about her. One, she is very honest. Two, she's very passionate about her work because she wouldn't have done everything she's done to help me personally with my podcast if she wasn't. And three, when this Corona thing is all over and y'all have a design project, you need somebody to hire and you don't hire her, you're crazy. So Stacy, <laughs> welcome to What's Your Excuse? 
Wow, that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, I don't, you know, you can, uh, I don't, I don't like to put pressure on my guests. I just like to do justice <laughs> to their stories. And, um, and the more I do this, the more I find out that people have a lot, a lot more to their story than they usually share with people. It usually takes somebody knowing them a while before they find out most everything. But the truth is, I wouldn't be as far along on my journey as a podcaster without your, uh, without your intervention, your assistance, your friendship, because for mm -hmm. those of y'all who don't know, uh, two years ago at MapCon in, in Philadelphia, she spearheaded the movement to get Amtrak to give me my suitcase back <laughs> and right. to deliver it to the venue instead of making me drive to Pittsburgh to get it. And then it wasn't uh, just right? me. It was Karen also. Yeah, it was I me, Karen. Spear, yeah. I said All spearheaded. Right. I didn't yeah. say it was just you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got it. But you okay. didn't, but, 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 you know, but you didn't get as much credit as, as other people got. Oh. And, and if you hadn't listened to me and took it into your, into your head to go, this isn't right. We're going to do something about this. It wouldn't have gotten as far as it did. The other thing is, is in 2000, last year at MapCon, um, she comes up to me, she goes, Max, I don't know why nobody else has told you this, but I'm your friend. So can I tell you something that's really, really important? And it's something I noticed because I'm in the interior design business. I said, okay, sure. What do you want to tell me? <laughs> she said, Max, your camera angle is horrible. Um, it's distracting. It turns people off. And there are probably more people who would listen to you, your videos longer. I did not say it that harshly. <laughs> <laughs> so just let me, well, I just want to point will, out something well, to yes, you. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the point was is that, I had been doing my podcast for five years. I had been on over a hundred podcasts as a guest in five years. I was sitting in front of my laptop, looking down at my screen, my camera looking up at me, looking up my nose, and probably some days looking at nose hair for all I know, because that's one of those other things I can't really see. And in the dark, and in the dark. And in the dark, yeah. yeah. So with no light, with bad camera angle, with all this stuff going on for five years, nobody said Jack, but uh, Stacy comes along and she goes, Max, is it okay if I, t and I said, sure. And yeah, I, it, it probably wasn't as, as blunt as I just made it out to be, but Thank I was you. trying to, I was trying to <laughs> cut this. I was trying to keep the story from going longer than it needed to, but, <laughs> but I mean, um, do you think it's the fact that you, you know, that you raised two special needs kids yourself, or you think it's just your natural character that you're just one of those honest people who can't, yeah. uh, yeah, it no, it has nothing to do with the kids. To help people. No, it has nothing, nothing to do with the kids. kids. All right, no, it is, that, that, that came from my family, my mom. We were just, look, I cared about you. I knew that you couldn't see it. I didn't know that anybody had not or had either one said anything, but it just, I knew that it didn't bother you because you can't see it. <laughs> but I also, I know what sighted people, if they're looking at something that's not maybe uh, appealing, let's say that, you know, because it's the yeah. camera angles up and, and I'll give you a quick story on that. Then, you know, and you, I wanted you to come off as professional looking and as good as you could possibly. And I knew that it was just a matter of shifting the camera up and getting a little bit, adjusting the light. And uh, yeah, I have actually, you know, with this pandemic going on, uh, I have sing some single lady friends that are alone, you know, and none of them really know uh, Zoom or they didn't have a, a regular reference to best camera angles. Some of them, so we check in every night, you know, with a quick 
phone call, yeah. uh, a quick yeah. Zoom call, just like a lot of people are doing. Right. And I, I'm going to tell you, there's a handful of them that are, are laying sprawled out on their bed. One even came in her bra <laughs> last week. And I'm like, you understand we can all see you, right? But... <laughs> People are funny that way. So, you know, if that's okay with her, then it's okay with me, kind of, sort of. But half of them are half the, 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 the camera angle. You're seeing half of their face. We're seeing some, uh, I'm joking around, but not really, saggy boobies. You know, because they've got the camera angle. Weirdly, I'm like, you understand that I'm looking at you. Do you under, I, I can see you. And is that really what you want me to be seeing? So, yes, yeah, some of them have the camera angle the same as you had. They were looking up. I could see their nose hairs. I said, wow, you have some serious cavities in there. We were joking, but, <sighs> you know, that is not, if, if you're in business and you want to uh, present yourself in the best way, you know, there are certain kind of rules of etiquette and some of them are just good camera angles and decent lighting. Nobody expects you to be, you know, in a, making a movie, you know, like a professional movie maker, but there is just some tricks that as a designer, I knew that the light was behind you. If you just could get a light in front of you, it would solve probably 99% of the issue and um, just shift your camera angle. It wasn't really hard. I'm really surprised nobody said something before, but I, I, maybe they figured you didn't, five, didn't bother you. Five, five years of wow. nobody saying. Wow. And, and here's the, here's the last thing I would say when I was a guest on somebody else's show, and I know I did at least 75, if not 100 interviews during that period of time. I would say, how do I look? Am I in focus? How is the lighting? Wow. And, wow. Nobody, and, and, and actually, you know, I just thought about this. I did a podcast for Mary Lippman Shannon, and maybe I should mention her name because maybe I'm going to get her producer fired. I don't know. Uh-oh. I actually had to show up for that interview 30 minutes. I had to show up for that interview 30 minutes early so the her producer could check my light and my audio. And, and they didn't say anything? They did not say nothing. No, no. All right, well, all right. Let's, and, let's not get anybody but, in trouble, okay? Yeah, let's, let's not... try that. Well, you know, that would imply a lot more people are listening to my show than there than are. But <laughs> okay. so, so, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Look. And that's, that's a belabor that's the one point. Of those, that's one of those things, you know. I'm, yes, yes. But I am surprised when guests um, are concerned about something they've said. And I'm like, y'all, you think I have a much larger audience than I do. Because I, do. <laughs> I have had a couple who have given answers. I've, I've had a couple who have given answers and go, I don't know. If, if so-and-so sees this, I'm going right. to be in trouble. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. We don't edit <laughs> you this You should show. have said it. That, yeah, no, no. I totally it's, get it. It's, it's recorded live. I, you know, I totally so. get it. Look, the fact that, I don't, again, I don't want to belabor this point, but the fact is, is that for five years, nobody said anything. They probably yes. just figured, you're blind, you don't care. But what I'm seeing, I'm coming from the other perspective, which is if you want sighted people to tune in, one of the things that we're always yelled at as podcasters, right, is is to say, make sure your sound is good, correct? Because you right. have more people turning off or tuning out if the sound is bad than anything else. That's what I've been told. And, and I think the next thing is if you're going to do video, it's the same thing. Just, again, it doesn't have to be a professional movie, you know, Hollywood movie, but just get the lighting right and get an angle that's decent and you'll be fine. You know, I don't think it's that complicated, but again, I can't believe nobody said anything to you for five years, but moving on. Anyway. Hi, Max. <laughs> Are you there? Did you freeze? Oh, I think you froze. Oh no. I'm not frozen. Am I frozen? Shoot. 
Well, we do have a storm here, so maybe that's what's happening. No, it's happening. No. Okay. Um, now that we've had our fun with Zoom for today, um, <laughs> the, and we've talked about the the whole video tech visual side of of of, of putting on a podcast or whatever. So mm. my my first real question is, how did you end up in this particular specialty of interior design? Is it something to do with where you got your education or where you first worked? Or how, how does somebody end up working specifically on hotels and motels and resorts? Uh, actually, my first real professional job was a hotel. It was a Days Inn in North Bergen. It, it, and um, from there, I went into, uh, I did a couple of others. And then uh, that same gentleman, owner, uh, who gave me those jobs actually was involved with uh, the Syrian community in near where I lived. So they were building a new construction synagogue, very wealthy community, which was very cool because I got to pick really cool finishes, which doesn't always happen in every job. So it was, the, it was a pretty job, you know, and they're not always like that. Um, and then they, of course, one tells another, tells another. So for a while I joked and said, Shules are us, you know, that's the name of the company. Um, so I did a lot of those in the Deal and Monmouth County area. Um, so the, the point is, is that I just kind of fell into it that way. You know, I apprentice like a lot of other designers for other designers um, and learn my craft and, and, you know, just like anybody else, eventually you say, I can do this better or I want to do it on my own. So that's how I started. Um, I have had my hands in lots of different areas of my industry. I've, I've done some education work, uh, which, you know, like, like schools, um, healthcare, I've done a lot of healthcare, uh, synagogues, um, hotels, restaurants, uh, you know, just corporate office buildings and residential. Those are the areas I kind of stick with. Um, and I just, I really like hospitality the best out of all of them, restaurants and, and hotels. There's, cause you can have some fun and then there's some serious stuff to it. Um, some of it's just plain old down and dirty paperwork, you know? Um, and a lot of it, it's not as easy as people think. They think it's just um, putting pretty stuff in a lobby, but you know, what about all those guest rooms? There's uh, some real, um, I call it down and dirty paperwork, meaning like data, like we make spreadsheets on, on guest rooms, on ordering case goods, like how, how many right-handed doors on the, on the cabinet, how many left-hand, because you, you got to know that, things like that. It, it gets very technical on some of these things, but um, there's lots of aspects to it is my point. It's not boring. It's not just doing the same thing you know, over and over, like many, many, a zillion years ago, as I always like to say, when I was first starting up and I was just drafting and I call myself a lowly drafter, but actually it's my favorite part of the job. I love drafting, love drawing. I was working for an architect and he, he was doing, do you remember the Midas uh, muffler shops? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this guy had a lot of those contracts, Midas muffler shops for franchises. I don't even know if they're still around. I'm sure they are. And I would draw those drawings because even though they're a franchise you still have to submit building you know uh, plans to the building department for approvals so i would do all those drawings for this architect so you know i've had my fingers in a lot of things <laughs> and and i wanted to start out actually what i really wanted was to be an architect back in the day but um i kind of geared and veered off to being interior designer because i just thought it was more fun 
you know, you can have a lot more fun with the work. It's, I don't know, I think it was always as serious. And it is, it, it, there's, you know, I always say I could hurt someone with, if I do something wrong. I could, you know, with, with what I designed. I could do some, uh, har- I feel like if somebody could do some harm to somebody, then you need to, you know, know what you're doing. You can, it's not just pretty work, you know, you need to understand structure and how things go together. So that's the stuff I really like. Right. And as you've seen me, um, I'm not, I'm not the most adventurous person when it comes to navigating uh, new locations by myself. I prefer to let somebody else lead and I follow them, but. Um, I noticed that Max. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And as, a res- as, but, but even so, um, there are aspects to these hotels that if poor, if poorly designed, um, they could cause injury to somebody. That's not an exaggeration in well, my opinion. It could be something as simple as if I designed a bookcase, you know, in someone's home. If I didn't design it correctly and, and didn't have it installed correctly, more importantly, I mean, it could fall on someone, you know, so it could, what I do, I take it very seriously and um, I don't think I could do anything else. I take it seriously because um, I look at what pe- the, how we designers, a good designer should be looking at something is, is you have this issue. You have a problem that needs to be solved, whether you maybe don't have enough space or the space is not working for you. Uh, maybe the things that you have, uh, the materials are dated and old and worn out or whatever it is. I'm the person who can solve that problem for you. You know, so, and, and we always talk about ADA and, and accommodations. Um, so I'm very sensitive to those issues because my daughter's deaf. I know you, I know several other blind people. I know quite a few deaf people. Um, I just, and it's not always about the wheelchair is what I always say. Everybody thinks, oh, ADA is about wheelchair. I'm like, yeah, there's other people that need accommodations in the world. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's not all about the wheelchair, but that's the one that people can relate to because it's the most obvious. Okay. And it's, it's the most it's- demanding. Right. It also is the, it is also for most people, and I'm probably wrong thinking this too. It's for most people, it's also the the simplest of the accessibility or adaptive issues to solve. No, I don't agree with that at all, because there are laws in place now with building codes that, you know, when we, we, we designers, architects, you know, the minute you get a design, a project, the first thing you do is look at what the accommodations or, or the building requirements are for accommodations. You don't even bother starting the design work because you, you have to work around that. You have to incorporate it in. You don't, you don't want to go through all this trouble of designing something and then, you know, find out that you can't do it because, you know, you, you, you have to accommodate for, for, say, a wheelchair and you don't have enough room based on your design. That's just silly. It's stupid and it's a waste of time. So you, you start out knowing what your constrictions are going to be. And you don't have to look at them as constrictions. They're just part of the design criteria. Okay. Um, just right. like no different. So if you need to accommodate for a blind person, a wheelchair, or even a deaf person, and yes, they do need accommodations as well in building. Um, you can find out uh, and, and incorporate that into it from minute one. Okay. So it's the same as, you know, you wouldn't put in a two foot doorway in a hotel room, let's say as an entrance into the room because that's really tight. That's, that's a closet door. You know, most people can get through it, but there are people that are heavier. We're not even talking about wheelchair. We're just talking about big people, you know? So you wouldn't do that. So there are laws and codes in place that say you must have a three foot open. You know what I mean? And um, there are lots of things uh, for, for, I know what they are for uh, a, a blind person, but for, I feel more sorry for deaf people. They have the hardest road in my opinion to get accommodations 
Um, and I tell this quick story. I took my kids on a cruise a zillion years ago. Um, and it was just the three of us, myself, my daughter, and my son. And I emailed the, what was it, Carnival? I, I'm going to say it was Carnival, but it doesn't really matter. It, it, it was, let's just say it was Carnival. And I emailed them, say, listen, we're going to have a deaf person with us. We need the flasher for the door and the caption set up on the TV. And this really was long ago where captions weren't as, at, you know, normal as they are now with a smart TV. They, there wasn't such, there wasn't anything called a smart TV in those days. And right. uh, she was young, you know, she was like, I don't know, not even 10. And um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And uh, they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. So I spent a lot of our couple of days, it was only a few days of a cruise, trying to get them to install that, you know? So things like a flasher for door doorknob, you know, a doorbell. That's, it's a simple thing, but you have no idea how many people are oblivious to that. And here's the funny story I tell you. So I was telling this to a guy one day. He said, yeah, you know, I, I, I really am very sensitive to accommodations because I have a kid and I know a lot of people. And I, I just feel like with, with my abilities, I could do good for, for these people. So he goes, oh, what do you mean? I, he goes, what, for, for the deaf person, like, what do they need? He, and I swear, Max, these, these are the words that came out of his mouth. He said, like, they have, they have Braille in the elevator. And I looked at him, I went, yeah, that's really good for a blind person. But what is that? You know, some people just don't make the connection of what the needs are, is my point. And yeah. there's a, 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 and the long-winded story about this is really about the education for people who don't need accommodations. That's the problem. If you don't need them, you're not really sensitive to them. And that's a shame. It's really not correct. I recently spent some time with uh, with uh, Billy Howell, who's friends with uh, Mark Daniel at uh, PodFest, and mm -hmm. he was trying to explain to me how difficult it is for a deaf person. He said uh, two things that are hard for most people to understand. He said one is sign language is a three-dimensional language where you almost have to erase characters and then reproduce those characters in, in the air with your hands. And he said, the other thing is, is that because deaf people don't hear, they have to spend, uh, they spend a lot of time in their own thoughts, which often leads to frustration and depression. Wow. Uh, I'm not going to speak to that last part, but, uh, and I'm not even going to speak to the first part because three-dimensional, that's just, yeah, I'm not qualified to speak on that. I just know that when I signed to my daughter, half the time she laughs at me because I'm not really that great at it, but I do sign. I did take classes. Um, one of my best, the best teachers I ever had was actually the syntax teacher. She's phenomenal. And um, Diane was her name. And there is more to it than that. So, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't want to speak to that because I'm not qualified. I'm not an expert in that. Okay. Totally not. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, I'm just trying to understand it for myself because it mm -hmm. was an area that I had no experience with. Um, yeah. The only experience I ever, I've ever had with a deaf person is I was volunteering in college at a family services center on the Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi, which is a place for people to get counseling and assistance you know and mm -hmm. uh i'm sitting there at the desk and one day a woman comes in who is deaf who uh doesn't speak and didn't have an interpreter and um i'm trying to talk to her she can't hear me or talk to me and i'm blind so i can't see her gestures 
it was just luckily that it was only five minutes later when somebody from one of the other offices walked in who could see that was able to help her get where she needed oh to go. Gosh. So, so I had very yeah. little experience. I was trying my best to understand a, a community that I have, you know, no experience with. So my, my daughter has a friend who's both deaf and blind. So, and I was, and, and they go out, they do things, you know, she signs to her in her hand and I, they make it work. I, I, God bless them, you know, anyway. Yeah. And that's, and that's the way it is with most things. Yep. Make it work. So, yep. So in your career as a designer, you have done the drafting and been part of the, uh, the part of the design. You've uh, yes. done the actual selection and uh, of materials and sure. uh, you supervised the installation of materials. So being a designer and a pro and you, you and a project manager, because it sounds like you pretty much have to be both. Um, you have, True had to have accumulated a lot of very a large variety of skills over the years um, yeah i and I, and actually that's pretty funny that you asked me that because i i always forget how much i really know you know you know what i mean like you if you don't do something in a while maybe you don't have a specific kind of project or um i just actually this year is the first year i've actually hired somebody to do some drafting for me i got really busy for a while and i i my head was exploding i was I, i'm not going to get all this work done so for the first time i actually hired someone to do and i like drafting and i'm good at it i'm not as necessarily fast but i'm good so it occurred to me to hire somebody that was faster than me all right to right. get the work done. Right. It, right. Uh, that's good business. Um, and I actually found somebody who's amazing. Her name's Nicole and I just adore her and I feel like she's the fine of the century. But um, yeah, I learned that even as a business owner, you, you end up not doing half the stuff that you really love <laughs> and I get it. I understand it, but it really sucks. <laughs> I just really <laughs> like the, the drafting part. I, I could sit in my pajamas all day long and draw, you know, I could. Um, but I do, I, I oversee the installation because it, you, it, you know, I joke around and say it's like birthing a baby, but it is, you're birthing an idea and you want to make sure that all the selections of the materials that you're picking makes sense. You know, I think I was telling you before that for the first time, I'm going to do my first uh, a session in a virtual conference, which is kind of exciting. And it's on tile. And I'm talking to my tile guy. And I said, do you want to do this as a panel with me? I think it'd be a great conversation with the relationship between the designer and, and the tile installer. You know, that's a very, just like a contractor. It's a really important right. relationship. You, it should be a good team. Okay. And, um, he said, yeah, I would love it. And we got, kind of got into a little bit of a conversation. I said, let's not talk about it all because I like things to be fresh. If you talk about it too much, then when you repeat the conversation for the podcast or for the, for the recording, it doesn't feel the same. So, But one of the things we touched on is that I can tell you so many times how many, how many times I did a job, I created this tile design, and then I was not working with my team member, like somebody I brought in. It was from somebody else. And like the, maybe the owner hired them or they're, they're a, a sub from a contractor that it's, I'm not in control of this. And I would come in and they would either replace certain things. Maybe the grout lines were different than what I specified. Um, you know, maybe I've even had somebody who changed out the tiles because they couldn't get the tile. And rather than let me know, and maybe I could kind of substitute or decide, they just changed it and didn't bother to tell me. That, that stuff happens all the time. It's so wrong. 
and it's frustrating because it's supposed to be my design, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. As the kind of, and I put this in big fat air quotes, crap that goes on in my industry, <laughs> but you know, you just, you pull up your big girl pants and you get on with it and you, you deal with it, but it happens a lot. Okay. I don't know how many yeah. other people it happens. It's happened a lot to me. And I, and since I've spoken about it in the past, I've heard that other people go through this too. So I think it's just a matter of, it's a matter of the contractor. There's sometimes there's an ego thing involved. It's frustrating. That's all. You put a lot of work into a design and you don't want to see it mangled, you know? Right. Well, back to something you said a few minutes ago, you said sometimes sure. I, for, I forget uh, all the things that I know. And I think that <laughs> that's something I think that's a good point for people because one of the things I love is when somebody introduces me that's really done their homework because they will say something and I'll go, yeah, I do that or I did that. And you forget, it's right? I've forgotten about yeah. that I have stopped giving myself credit for doing or knowing. And so I'm thinking maybe people should, you know, every once in a while, just make a list of all the things that you are capable of or that you've done in the past year or five years. And then look at that list and go and, mm. and realize that you are so much more uh, powerful, successful, um, you know, so, so much more of a person than you would normally give yourself credit for without actually sitting down and thinking about all these things that you've been able to do over the years. And I'm sure many of them are things you did because at that time it was either you doing them or them not getting done. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good observation because it happens a lot. And, and I, I've done that where I'll say, I, I can do that. Um, I'm not a professional, say marketer, but I've had to, you know, being a business owner, you have to do your own marketing to a certain point, unless you can fancy it up and hire somebody. That's great. But I don't have that kind of money. And I do a lot of it myself, which is, is frustrating. But then I've learned to do things that I normally wouldn't have done. And I find them very satisfying when they work and not so satisfying when they don't work. But that's like <laughs> anything, you know, you, it's just, look, I've been in this industry for 40 years and I've done a few things, you know, and I forget it. And when I really, when I really pat myself on the back or acknowledge that is actually what I find is when I'm, maybe I've tried to hire in the past, maybe a, a design assistant or something, and I'm teaching them and I'm explaining things. I'm like, wow, yeah, right. That's the way that works. Or you know what I'm saying? It's, you yeah. forget, you forget what you, you know. And, and I always forget how I know it. It's been so many years and it just becomes that it's a saying called rote. You know, it's like, it's like part of, part of your DNA. It just becomes, natural right you know athletes refer to it as muscle memory yeah yeah thing. good one yes yeah exact same thing you've done it in the past and you did it enough times to where you still know how to do it today you may have to you may have to brush off a little bit of rust to do it as well as you right. did it five years ago right but yeah you did it and you did it well enough that you still remember how to do it when you have to but i do think that we all have more skills than we've are giving ourselves credit for today because we just don't think about it. We don't take the time you know, to think about. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You. I was we don't think we just don't take the time to think about ourselves yeah. that way. I was thinking about you. It was just, you, you, you joggled my memory here and it's like, yeah, some of the reason is that be, the back story of that really is too. I went through a lot of really bad years and there were some of those bad years 
um, I wasn't working a lot and I, I questioned myself and I don't know, I know this is a woman thing more than a man thing, but recently I've heard it's really not a gender thing at all. I think it's just a no. set of circumstances, but I did, I went through a lot and I didn't realize how much I was questioning or doubting myself. And just when I, I started to ramp up a little bit more and get a little bit more work coming in, I'm like, ah. Oh, Ah, yeah, I can do that. And, and I've uncovered old drawings. I'm like, you were good. You know, you just, you, because you're not seeing them every day and you're not really having the opportunity to experience them or, or use them. Do you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. And as to your point that it's a gender thing, I totally disagree with you because yeah. the diff, there, there is a gender part to it, but it's not the experience. It's the sharing of the experience. Women yeah. are more likely to admit it to themselves and to okay. admit it to other people than men are. Men have those same thoughts and feelings. They just keep them for themselves, you know? I guess, or, I guess. Yeah. That's my opinion, you know? Yeah, no, no, you're right. I think you might be right, yeah. I, again, it's there's not one set rule for this, but I just, you're right. I have some women friends that I do discuss this with, and, you know, I, and I am, I, I've been, it's been pointed out to me that I am a strong person, and I didn't feel that way for many years. So I think that has a lot to do with, with confidence and, you know, how you see yourself. But I never questioned my ability in all those years of, I call them the bad years. I yeah. never questioned my ability to be a good designer. I questioned what was going on, why I wasn't able to use my skills in the way I wanted to. Okay. I wasn't getting good jobs. I was, I, I call them not great clients or whatever. And it was, <laughs> I've used a little stronger Jersey word for that. Yeah, but, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. This but, is, this, this falls into a category I hear a lot where people say I was doing everything right, but things weren't happening the way that they should have for me at that time. Well, I also think that the, I call it the laws of marketing and, and selling changed. And I think that has a lot to do with the internet. And, you know, I just think the way we used to do things back in the day, you know, is just doesn't apply anymore. I mean, sales is sales. I get it. You know, there's a way to sell but I've never done that. I never sold. I just, you know, there were referrals always coming and I never really had to full force out there sell. And that's, right. it's a very uncomfortable thing for me. I don't like touting my amazingness, you know, <laughs> just well, don't like it. Yes. Yes. And, and selling has changed. It, you know, it used, it used to be a person to person. Yeah. You had to schmooze. You had to take them to dinner. You had to go golfing. You had to well, do even if they didn't do that, even if you didn't go that far, but you, you, it was, there was a sense of professionalism that came into that. Somebody needed something that you had. So you had made an appointment. You said, look, here's what I can do for you. Right. Uh, and, and it is yeah. a bit of selling, but not something I couldn't give them. Here's my product. Here's my services. Let me sell, you know, and if they bought it, they bought it. And it, it usually wasn't that hard because I, I don't know why it just wasn't that hard. Now it's harder. Maybe I got a little older. Um, there's a lot more competition. Um, it's just the way people see things is just changed. Like even in my industry, it's, it's all about the pretty stuff, you know, and, and there's, there's like a foundation behind that pretty stuff and nobody wants to know about that. They only want to know, and I'll tell you a quick story. Are we okay on time? Yeah, we're okay. 
Okay, so with, with, quick, the, with this show, one we like stories. Um, two time is t- two time is irrelevant. Time has no meaning here. <laughs> yeah, it has no meaning here. And and three, the only time the only time I worry about is the time of the guest. Other than that, it, it's all meaningless. Oh, we're good then. All right. Yeah. So, and I'll give you an example as to how I when I really I knew things were changing, but I didn't know how to deal with them, and I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be doing to, as they call now with this pandemic, pivot you know, and and whatever. Yeah. That's the new hot word. I hate it. Okay. So (laughs) I get this client who was one of those not great clients. And, uh, but you know, it was, it should have been a really nice job. And here's the example. She says to me, uh, we're going to, let me back up. So she has this dining room. I was doing the whole house, but we were specifically focused on the dining room. So she has a very long rectangular room with very high ceilings. It's like double height ceilings. So first floor, second floor, it's open to that. And the view was on onto the golf course. She had these beautiful, beautiful, full-length arched windows on this wall. So long, and, and on top of that, uh, or, or on the side of it, rather, it was this really high uh, um, fireplace. So the first thing I said when I walked in there, and I said, well, we're going to have to get a heavy table in here. And the reason why is I knew right away we needed something to anchor the room. It's like, you know, it's like a design principle thing. Okay. Okay. And, you know, we couldn't have short little chairs. She saw these chairs on Wayfair. Okay. They were very contemporary. It wasn't about the style. It was about the fact, and I totally agreed with her that it would be really cool in this very uh, traditional looking room with arches and fireplaces and all that, that we could apply some commercial, uh, uh, contemporary uh, pieces that would be very cool. All right. It would work. But she wanted this one chair that was really short and flimsy and not well made. So that is not what I'm going to put out. So I said to her, great, if that's the chair you want, let me have my vendor make it. I will have it made much better. It'll, the quality will be there. I would make it taller because we need some, something with height. This room is very tall and it requires that. And, you know, would fit work with the table that I'm trying to um, spec for you. She ended up buying the chair just to show me that, you know, I was wrong. <laughs> okay. And it just, it was, like, I don't know. Can I curse on your show? It was crap. Yeah. It was just crap. It was awful. And I said, look, this is where we came to the parting of the ways. And I spent a lot more. And on top of that, to make, make you let you know how bad of a client this was, I had given her a price based on a couple of design meetings, because if I can design a job, I can figure out how many design meetings. And if it, and if there's a few more, I don't usually charge for those, but she, like every time she did something, I had to go there to approve it. So basically I was chasing the client to approve her choices. That is not how the job was yeah. set up. So my point, my long winded story here was that we came to a parting of the ways. And when I tried to give her a bill for my services, she didn't want to pay it because she felt she was doing the designing. I'm like, are you kidding me with this? So yeah. Anyway, what was the point of that story? <laughs> <laughs> we get bad clients and uh it, and the, the point is is that no, i can that make was, anything no, work. no the, the point of that story that i took away from it and i think that hopefully my audience will take away from it the point of that story is is that you with with a client no matter how much money is at stake if you get to that point where you have to compromise your your ability, your values, your reputation in order to continue working with them. Yeah. That's when you have to say no. 
it became obvious she didn't value what I did. And um, that was a problem. And I find that with some clients, uh, what I call the bad clients. And so that was on me too. I accepted them. I said, yeah, sure. Let me, let me give you a quote on this job and I will do this for you. And it, and I, sometimes I recognize that it's not a, a good fit and I shouldn't have done that. I've learned my lesson since then, but the fact is sometimes it is a good fit. They're just not great clients. You know, that happens too, but I value my, the clients that are great that I've worked with well together. I value them because I'm, I'm trying to solve a problem for them. You know, and I have these, these skills and these um, uh, sources and things to be able to do that for them. Otherwise, and I always say this, then why did you hire me? If you don't want to listen to me, it's not my way or the highway. If I show you a chair and you hate it, okay, I get that. Believe me, I have many other options that will work there. There's never just one solution to a problem uh, in anything, really. It's, unless right. it's two plus two. That is always okay. going to equal four, you know. All right. So I, I, in design, you could, there's one more than one way to skin that cat, you know, that old saying, and I can give you options. I never come into a client and say, this is my design, take it or leave it. It just never happens. I'm not that person. And I don't feel that's correct because even sometimes I question my choice. I'll say, look, this really works. I don't love it, but it really does work. It's not my taste, but design wise, perfect. You, you know, and then a lot of times they'll go, what do you like? And if I show them what I like, sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't. But what people don't realize is they're coming from their design from a very emotional place. If it's their residence, if there's, if it's their commercial space, like their corporate building or their hotel, it's not really as much as emotional as it is the budget. Okay. Or when can we get it? Or if it's on branding or whatever. Um, but sometimes it is an emotional decision. I'm not coming to it from emotion. I'm coming to it from design, from a design aspect. What works? That's right. why you hired me. And I know that right. sounds very um, like detached, but it's not. It's a job to me. Uh, it's a job I love and I'm very passionate about but it's still a job. There's principles of design that I'm applying. There's, you know, there are rules and, 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 and codes and things I'm abiding by to give you the solution to your design problem, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And so. uh, for those of you, I am talking with uh, Stacy Greenberg of interior and design LLC.com. She's an, an interior designer with over 35 years of experience as a designer and project director or project manager. And uh, she does specialize in hotels and motels and other uh, hospitality properties, but she's capable of designing for just about any, uh, just about any venue. So um, could you talk to me a little bit about the whole uh, tiny houses thing um, and what, if anything, it's taught you as a person or a designer? Well, um, so back a number of years ago, I was uh, letting my house go. I fell in love with tiny houses, love them, love them, love them. But New Jersey is not tiny house friendly yet. Okay. What that means is so you, I could go ahead and build one or buy one and where am I parking it? It's, there's no place that there's not, they're not zoned for it. And um, in, it's not worth the fight that I, that's not ready for, for to be had yet. So, I mean, people are working on it, but anyway, so there's no place to have it, but I really wanted to go tiny. So what uh, my daughter and I decided to do was um, 
and I'm in this right now. You can, you're in my bedroom right now. You can't see it. That's why I put the curtain up behind me because my bed's behind me. We live yeah. in an RV. We, we okay. bought our, uh, we bought an RV, a trail, a, tra- a travel trailer. And, um, I wanted to see if we could do it. I seriously didn't think we would last a year. I really didn't. I was like, we'll try it. Okay. And there's, there's, I talked to you about this, Max, so you know what my approach to this is. First of all, yes. I found that the more I lived in it, the more I loved it. Okay. And this is, this is how I, this is my metaphor, if you will. You know how you go to a restaurant and well, not, maybe not you, but most of us, or I don't know, me, you, I go to restaurants like say, oh, let, let me just say it, like a diner. You go to a diner and then the menu is huge. There's so much to select from. Okay. Right. And it makes you take longer because you're looking at all the options, unless you already know what you want, but let's not go there. Let's just say you don't know what you want and it's a new place and right. you're reading all the things. So it's taking forever to pick something. That's the point. The more choices you have in life, the longer it's going to take to make a decision. For most of us, for many of us, um, I myself am one of those people. If you give me too many choices, I'm going, my head's going to swirl. All right. I know there's other choices out there. Okay. I do know them. And, and if I'm not happy with the choices I have, I will continue to look. But the fact is, is if I can be satisfied with maybe five or six really good things on the restaurant menu and they make them well, I'm going to be a happy little restaurant, you know, uh, guest. And that'll be fine. So I decided to apply that in my life because I'm not, near, I'm not really a minimalist. I know you call me that, but I'm not really. Maybe it's by, def, by, by accident. I'm the accidental okay. minimalist. That's a podcast, right? There you go. The accidental yep. Um, I did it because I wanted to see if I could do it, and I love it. I, I don't think I can't see ever going back to living in a house or an apartment again. I'm not saying I never will, and I'm quite sure I probably will at some point or another. But for right now, I love it. The goal, the dream, the, the plan was to get the kind of RV where I could travel to, say, uh, a project. Because we're, with what I do, I don't have to live where I work. Most people who do hotels, they don't live where the hotel is. They, they're, that's what planes are for, or trains, or cars, you know. So right. yeah. my goal was to get in my RV and go up to, say, you know, I got a job up in Syracuse. Uh, so I'm working on that hotel. So my goal was to go up to, yes, I know I could stay at the hotel. And I actually did that when I went to measure. But it'd be really cool if I had to live there for a while, you know, take my home with me and yeah. to travel around. I can be anywhere. And the, we were talking about this. Well, what if we drove across the country and we were in California for a while? What would we do if you got a job back Northeast? It's called an airplane. I would get on an airplane and fly to where the job is, do what I have to do, meet with the architect, meet with the owner, take the measurements, take the pictures, and then come back to my space and produce the work. I actually do have a studio in Collingswood, New Jersey, um, and I figured I would keep that because that's a home base for me that I could you know, work out of, and it works for me. It's inexpensive. It's in a maker space, very cool space. It's uh, called The Factory. So this guy makes live edge tables and um, uh, Tom Marchetti, he's amazing. It's called the factory. And um, yeah, I love it there. So I rent a studio there. It's very creative space. And anyway, so that was the plan. And I'm still kind of doing that. We don't travel right now because this thing is really big. I live with my daughter. And so it's not the kind of RV that, you know, like if, if you're with another person, 99% of the time, you're with your spouse. So you're sharing a bedroom. So you have more, you, you don't have to get as big of space, but I needed a separate bedroom for her. 
So we got this really right. long trailer. So she has her room and I have mine. When she's ready to move out, I think what I'll be doing is um, swapping it out for a more drivable unit for me and um, do that, do the plan, drive around, travel around. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you can look forward to it all you want. I have no interest in it. I, <laughs> I, I spent I spent twenty I spent twenty years uh, living in house trailers twelve months out of the year, driving Aww. up and down the roads of of Texas. Yeah, and but you did it. That's South. my point. You did it. You you wouldn't yeah, go back to I it. That's okay. No, I have no way in hell. Wouldn't <laughs> ain't, ain't gonna. I, I tell you. I tell you how how much my aversion towards doing that again is. Two years ago, a group of of, of coaches, uh, speakers, etc., who live in travel trailers, were in, invited me to come and be part of their caravan for three for three months. And I told them, not even for three months, you know. Not, just, but you know, I, you know the people that do this that that live in RVs and travel around. They're a unique kind of people. There, it's a it's an experience. You know, you've did your experience, so that's that's the point. You don't want to do it again. I yeah, think that once yeah. I leave it, I wouldn't go back. But I don't know. Never say never. I couldn't yeah. have vision, visualized myself doing this. You know, say five years ago, you said, "Oh, you're going to be living in a travel trailer." I'd have laughed laughed my I didn't even think of it It wasn't even on the radar so you know but I loved tiny houses so I feel like this was the neck because if I hated doing this then at least I knew I could sell the RV easy I, you can't yeah. do that with a you tiny probably house. sell the RV cheaper than you could sell your house Easier, exactly I mean. exactly so that was the reason why I did it and and we've customized a lot of it you know uh we painted walls I know you're not supposed to but we did it um we put our own sofa in there we took out that horrible horrible sofa <laughs> you know how they have the uh, pull out sofas they, oh my they god all, they all have that horrible horrible sofa oh my like god that it's designer like who designs those sofas should be shot. Okay. So yeah, we took that out. We took out the banquette and we've put her in our own downfilled sofa. Love that sofa. We'll, won't get rid of it until it finally dies. And so we have a nice, normal, regular sofa. We put a rug in there um, yeah. and we just put a smaller table because it's just the two of us. And the only thing I would do is I do miss a nice kitchen. I do miss a better bathroom. There's things like that that bug me. But when I think about, I live very cheaply and yeah. I live, yes, I know it's minimalistic, but that wasn't the reason behind it. But it is, it's, it, I've become the accidental minimalist because I, I want to take away, look, I'm very busy with my business. Okay. So right. I want to take away all the things that pull me away from it so my friends give me a hard time about my short haircut because a lot of them have really pretty hairdos you know and they go well well you should grow your hair out i'm like anything that makes me take more than two minutes on my hair is not up there on my time it's the same thing with things in my home i'd rather do the things for you for someone else than me i don't live in a shack it's nice i mean I would pull the curtain down, but I don't want you to see my bed. <laughs> so, um, well, everybody I'm can see behind yeah. me. There's a there's a bunch of um, uh, stacked things there, and I put um, blankets and pillows up there for the cats. They like to slip uh, up, sit sit up there and look out the window. That's why it looks like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I have plants. I have pictures. I have food. We have a regular refrigerator, which is not normal in an RV. That's not typical. Oh, no. Well, we had a regular refrigerator too, but it didn't. Yeah, I don't good. think I could do this without that. That yeah. that was a big criteria, you know. Yeah. We 
we saw a couple of them that we really liked, but they had the regular one. I said, what would it cost to transfer it over to a regular, like plug in a regular refrigerator? But you've got to start redoing all the wiring. It just wasn't worth it. So we just kept looking yeah. and we found yeah. this one. So yeah. Yeah. So, I like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I just, the, just, just one more question that I sure. would, I'm not, I would like to ask. Um, how, um, uh, I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about um, about raising your children and being a, a parent to two special needs children, especially since it sounds like you were also a single parent during most of this time. Yeah, since she was three years old. Um, well, it was a, a relationship gone bad, you know, just turned wrong like a lot of people's. And I found myself alone raising these two kids. Uh, at the time we split up, I suspected something was up with her, my daughter's hearing, but I didn't know because I didn't know any deaf people at the time. And so we didn't really get her formally diagnosed until she was five. Um, and, and every six months we'd go back to the, hear, the, the audiologist to get a test. And I don't know if you know this, Max, but when you get a hearing test with little, little kids, the parent will be in this little booth, which is like smaller than most closets. And there is a monkey. There's two monkeys that are in the top corner of the uh, sound booth. And when um, it, in order to test them, it has like the carnival uh, I don't, tambourine kind of thing. It makes noise. So the child will look up. You should see it if they hear it. And okay. that's what I remember about the children's hearing booth. And we did that every six months. And every six months, they'd come back and say, all right, bring her back another six months. And I knew something was up. Something wasn't quite right. And things were getting worse and what have you. And, and that's a testament to how smart she was, how good she was still doing in school, whatever. And she was young. So, you know, it's not like there was a lot of tests or things. But by the time she was five, I said, I've had enough of this. And a friend of mine said, we were living up North Jersey. They said, bring her to CHOP. CHOP is a famous uh, children's hospital in Philadelphia. So I did that. And so we had all of the tests laid out um, of her hearing tests over those last couple of years. And every time, I never did this before, but with this audiologist, we did it. Every time we looked at that test, it stopped. Her hearing dropped at the same exact point. So I got really angry because apparently the people that were giving the tests, nobody noticed that. It was exactly the same spot. You, you would have thought somebody would have realized, hey, maybe we ought to do further tests because clearly her hearing is dropping here. They just thought she was bored. That's why I mentioned the monkeys in the top corners of the sound booth because that's, you know, kids get bored and they get antsy and they, they squiggle yeah. and whatever. All right. Yeah. So fast forward, she's five years old and we take her down to chop. And um, I kind of knew it was coming. At this point, after a couple of years, you, you begin to wonder, you know, and, and get a sense of it. Now we're in an adult sound booth. And you know, they say that uh, silence is deafening. Never was that so much clearer, you know, than that moment. I was sitting with her on my lap and she's doing the whole, you know, the, I don't know if you've ever taken sound hearing tests, but they go hot dog and baseball and they give you all the words and the kid's supposed to repeat it. So the audio, we finished the test and the audiologist comes in to the sound booth and standing there talking with me. And she said, yes, apparently yeah, all these years, her hearing has been dropping off and um, it's, she's basically going deaf. And for all intents and purposes right now, she is considered, I guess, legally deaf. And at that moment, Max, I, again, I knew it was coming, but, you know, it was like somebody punched me in the stomach for about two seconds. 
And then the next thought I had was, well, it's not like a terminal illness. She can't die from it. And, and I don't know anything about being deaf, but I guess I'm going to have to figure this one out. And, you know, we're going to figure it out. So that night, and here's the long-winded story. So that night we, so we would used to go to these hearing tests in CHOP now for a while, and we would make a whole mother-daughter day of it because that was like a lot of hours away from where we lived. Okay. Right. So we, it wasn't around the corner. And so I didn't want this to be a, a drag on her as a, for a little girl. So I would make it exciting and we'd go out for mother-daughter lunch, what have you. So now we go home that night, the night she formally got diagnosed as going deaf. Um, so she's laying in bed. She said, so what did the doctor say? I said, okay. I said, well, the doctor or the audiologist really said, yes, you are losing your hearing, but we kind of knew that already, didn't we? And she shook her head. I said, you know what I figured out though on the drive home? Really, nothing is going to change. You are going to get hearing aids because at the time she wore them for a couple of years. So she was like 11 from, from five to 11. She wore hearing aids. And then the, she took them out because it just made louder what she couldn't discern. Okay. So it was time oh, yeah. to make a choice, either get cochlear implants or have a hear, you know, or take them out be, and choose deaf. So she chose deaf. But that night she's laying in bed and she says to me, so what did the doctor say or the audiologist? And I said, all right, so I thought about it. And I said, this is what I'm thinking. Nothing is going to really change in your life. Like I'm going to still love you. Your dad is still going to love you. Your kitty cats are going to still love you. You're still going to school, still going to have homework. I'm still going to get mad at you when you do something wrong. I'm still going to praise you when you do something right. You're still going to have chores. Everything in your life is really going to be the same, except for how you hear it. And I don't know how that's going to work because I don't really know anything about the deaf world. And this is, by the way, this is pre-Google days. Google was just yes. starting to come yes. online. So you couldn't Google it, okay? I said, but what I do know is we're going <laughs> to find out. And, and I will be there with you. And I, you know, I will be there forever with you to figure out how you're going to become deaf. All right. That's, I didn't okay. know how else to say it. And she goes, okay. You know what I mean? Cause I, I just, I didn't know what else to say. Um, that's how I dealt with it with her for, and, and I raised her that way. We never, as we call it, played the deaf card in our family unless we had to get some services, <laughs> but you know about that, you know, um, yeah, but so it's, really, it's okay yeah. to play the, it's okay to play the blind card against other people. It's just not okay to play it against your own family. Yes. Nope. I got you. We didn't, we do not do it. One time she was wearing the hearing aids and this is the last I'll say on that. So she's a teenager. So she was a bit of an angry teenager and you can't blame her. She was losing her hearing and all her friends were hearing and she wanted to be like her friends. I understood. But, and plus teenage years are just, you know, fodder for that. So one day I'm mad at her and I'm, I don't, I don't know what it was about, but I'm looking her straight in the eye and I'm yelling at her. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And she looks me right in the eye and she turns her damn hearing aids off and turns around. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Oh my God. So, you know, that was the last time she did that. And <laughs> so honestly, that's how I raised her. I just, you know, you, you don't get to play it. And she, listen, she went to Ryder University. She went there on min, many, many scholarships and grants. She graduated cum laude. Um, she did all the work I asked her to do. I said, you get good grades and you do what you're supposed to do. And I will make sure all the grants and scholarships and all the monies that we could get because we were not rich, you know, we needed the help. We'll, I will make sure we, I follow through on that. She did her part. I did my part. There's nobody that's more proud of my daughter than me that she did what I asked her to do and she did a good job. So, you know, come on, I, I don't have any complaints. My son, 
God bless him, ADD, uh, and you know, that's where I get it from. It's where he gets it from, it's from me. But he spent five minutes in college at Vaughn University or Vaughn College. He was going to be an airplane, uh, what do they call those? Um, the, uh, the radio controllers, you know, the air tra- flight controller. Air traffic f- flight control. Yes, yeah. yes. And they, it's really cool, Vaughn. They have a, uh, a tower on the, um, the, uh, the runway. Campus. Yeah, no, the, the, the campus is the runway. So oh, okay. they are, yeah. So you can see the real run, uh, the tower back there, you know, on the other side of the runway and they have a smaller one. So they basically get trained for that. So Vaughn basically feeds into, uh, you know, the airports and he spent five minutes in that class and, and I didn't know it. And he spent the whole semester up there. And so now Thanksgiving is coming up. And I said, so like, when are you going to come home for Thanksgiving? Like what, when should I expect you? And he says, yeah, about that. Um, I want to let you know that I left college and um, I've been working as a pizza delivery guy and um, looking for an apartment. And uh, I went, what? So he basically used college as a way to leave home. And, you know, he paid off his first don't, semester. Crazy, Don't we right? all? Don't yeah. we all? I mean, but he, he just, he couldn't, he, look, he was that kid that I was in school every five minutes defending him against the teacher. Because the, like the teacher, he, he went to a tech uh, high school. And they would teach something and he would correct the teacher. He was that kid. So, and I had to make him understand or try to make him understand that you may know more than the teacher because he did a voracious amount of reading and he was that kid. He was left of center brilliant, but you can't correct a teacher in front of a class. They don't like it. All right. So if you are, you think the teacher's wrong, can you pull him aside after class and have that discussion? That was the hardest lesson to teach him. Um, Because I was always being pulled into school to Mrs. You know, Greenberg, can you please tell Zach that he can't keep doing this? And, you know, and I defended him. I said, well, maybe you should have a more advanced program for some of these kids, but it is what it is. They're both doing very well right now. He's like, he's making six figures with a IT company doing security and coding and all that stuff, all, all IT stuff, all in internet, you know? Um, right, so right. they're both amazing. They were both, uh, yeah. those are the best, those are my big, what do you call that? Uh, you know, my, my successes, if you will. I love them right. so much. Right. And he just had his baby, his first baby. So I have my first grandchild. Menu entering Fatter Tuesday for 29 Zuma. Is that well, your... I've been having, I've been having a great... I've been having a... Are you still there? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I've been having a great time with you, Stacy. but I've got to wrap this up. So... Cool. Is there, is there one thing you would like to point out to people or remind them about or maybe something you didn't talk about yet that you think would be important that would help them uh, accomplish their own goals or um, overcome their own excuses? Um, just, you know, when you're struggling, we all do it. We all go, even the most confident people struggle. But don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. That was a big issue with me. I didn't want people to know how much I was struggling. I thought it was a weakness. I thought people didn't want to do business with losers kind of thing. That was the thinking, you know, and um, that's ridiculous. And I think it takes more strength to ask for help than not. And that took me a long time to figure that out. You know, it wasn't a pride thing. It was just, I was afraid people would know how crazy messed up I was. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, I, it was hard. Life was hard for many years. And I just felt like that was none of their business, but I was hurting myself by not asking for help. You know, I had, I had a lot of confidence in myself, but I just didn't know how to get around that, you know? So 
ask for help. Doesn't mean you have to let them do it for you, but totally ask for help. And uh, you didn't mention it, but I often mention this because I talk about it quite often. Um, when beyond asking for help, when people offer you help, accept it. Yeah. <laughs> accept yeah. it graciously. Yeah. And, be, and because just because you didn't specifically remember asking them for the help doesn't mean you didn't ask. You just maybe didn't say it out loud. Um, quite often, people that know you or that or that uh, are following your progress, when they see you struggling or when they see something you could be doing better, they will they will reach out to you and offer to help. And I find it's often harder to, to accept help when offered than it is to ask for it. Both of them are terribly difficult. So thanks for, for yeah, thanks for sharing that because that's one of the most important things that I think we can share with other people as entrepreneurs is uh, the importance of asking for help. No, I, and, and I hope you get to the first half of this that we, we lost it because I was saying that your lighting is so much better and your camera angle is so much better. You look a hundred million times better on video, but it's the closet. Do you have a door on that closet? No, this, this was never uh. intended. This was never intended to be a room. Okay. Um, I, I basically, um, I basically lost the, uh, coin toss or the straw drawing. So I have a room with a cloth, with a, with a curtain rod or a, a clothes rod, but no door. But however, I do have a friend from church who is a carpenter. And as soon as COVID allows him to come back to Texas from his mom's house in Seattle, um, he's, he's promised to help me turn that into an actual closet. So. You don't even have to really put a door, Max. You could just go to the, the Lowe's or, you know, Home Depot, whatever, and get a, uh, a curtain rod and just put a curtain across it. I'm just saying that I can see half of your closet and it's not necessary. And other than right. that, you're, you're doing really good. Everything's great. You know, well, thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You've been a great guest. Um, I love spending time with you. <laughs> Hopefully uh, things will, will, will improve and we, yeah. can, we can meet again in Philadelphia in September, but who knows? So be sure and continue to stay safe and help your son and daughter you and grandchild stay safe. You too. I hope everything goes well for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We had another great interview this time with my friend, Stacy Greenberg, the interior designer uh, from Philadelphia. I met her at, Map, at uh, MapCon and DreamCon and, Hoping to see her again at some point down the road in Philadelphia again, because uh, going there is like seeing family. Um, and I'll, I love a couple of things that came out while I was talking to her. One was that, you know, never be afraid to ask for help and accept help when offered. That's something you've often heard from me. So it shouldn't be a surprise that you hear it from somebody that I, I really appreciate and admire. Um, she talked about how there's so many things she's learned how to do over the years that sometimes she forgets just how many things she's accumulated knowledge, talents, and skills around. And, you know, that led me to tell her that we really should make a list, you know, and sometimes I mean more than just thinking about it in your brain or talking about it out loud, you know, get a piece of paper, open up a file on your computer and, uh, and make a list of the skills you've learned over the past month, three months, six months, year, et cetera. And uh, I think you can tell from imp by implication from her that a lot of what she has done has just been a matter of here is the problem I need to solve, the question I need a solution for, and how am I going to get there? And I think her life as a designer has probably helped her in her, in her personal life because 
that's how you were how she explained working as a designer you start from the goal of the customer the problem the the question or you know their vision their idea of what the, their room house business should look like when you're through with it and so i think that that's a, a great example by implication that uh, there are solutions we can learn to do more and be more than we already are and take advantage of the person we already are because like she shared and i think you've heard me say it before we all have skills and abilities that we don't know are inside us or that we don't appreciate about ourselves if they are so hopefully she's got you thinking um to appreciate yourself more and to think of yourself more of that as that amazing person you really are uh, again, you can find the show, What's Your Excuse, by going to theblindblogger.net, uh, going to Knob TV on Roku, saying, Alexa, play the blind blog, excuse me, play What's Your Excuse, or Google, ask for What's Your Excuse. And so happy for my sponsor, Chip Edwards at createmyvoice.com. Alexa, play Create My Voice. Uh, Google, ask for Create My Voice, createmyvoice.com. He's helped me create a branding strategy and claim my brand name as What's Your Excuse and the Blind Blogger. And so I hope you will reach out to him, schedule a call with him, talk to him about it, learn more about it. So even if you don't hire him, you'll appreciate more the importance, the danger that comes from not having a voice branding, voice branding strategy. All right. As for me, you can hire me to get you booked on podcasts, radio shows, and other online platforms. Just go to theblindblogger.net, click on online publicity, or click on eight weeks, number eight weeks. All right, until next time, take care out there. Twitter. This has been the Blind Blogger, Maxwell Ivey. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away till what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today so don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide